Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Lemick, and this is Building Trauma-Informed Workplaces. I am thrilled to have an amazing guest with us today, someone who I actually met when I was doing my MBA more years ago than I'd like to admit, um, but so thrilled to have my friend Maud joining us, and I will kick it over to her so she can introduce herself. Welcome, Maud. Thank you, Stephanie. I am so thrilled to be here. Uh, my name is Maud Moreno. As Stephanie said, we've known each other for, what, 16 years now since we were in school, which is crazy. I am actually a the founder of my company, Yoga and Movement with Maud, and I consider myself a wellness provider. There could be many, many names to what I do. But I do focus on wellness and well-being through my yoga classes, through my mindfulness and meditation sessions, and my movement therapy sessions, primarily for corporate clients. But then I also teach individually, like on one-on-ones, and some community yoga as well over here. So I'm really happy to be here and share my story with you today. Amazing. We are so excited to have you here. And Maud is hilarious too. So yeah, I know sometimes our conversations can be pretty heavy, but I feel like we'll have a little bit of fun um, during our conversation today as well. So Maud, I mean, obviously we met in an MBA program. So our listeners might guess that you didn't start out as, you know, a yoga and wellness entrepreneur. Um which I know, I know you didn't, so I, I have the, the benefit of that. But tell us a little bit about, you know, your career journey, your career experiences, and maybe how, how they led you to what you're doing now. Oh, boy. I'm going to tell you a lot of it instead of Perfect. a little bit. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but I'll try to abbreviate the parts that don't need to elongate. So I have been in IT. I had been in IT for 24 years between the Philippines and here. So I, I migrated in 2005. And my first corporate job in the U.S. started in 2007. And that's when you and I met because I was in the middle of my MBA. Um I had been in IT, but I was always in a sort of a leadership collaborative role. I was not the technical person, if you will. I was not a developer. I was not a database person. I was a project manager, product manager, um, business analyst. And in my last IT job, I was actually the operations lead for the design team of a Fortune 10 healthcare delivery company. So as I'm going through maneuvering through all these roles that I have, I realized, you know, I have a very generalist personality. I'm always there to help and always there bringing people together. But in 2012, I started teaching yoga. I was done with my training and I did yoga. And I was always that annoying person in the office was telling people like, time out. This is our fifth call. Maybe we need to take a break. You know, maybe we need to step away from our desks and just take a walk, take a breather. Or when I was still physically in the office, you know, pre-COVID, I literally tell people like, your posture is horrible. And if you don't change anything about it, you know, <laughs> let's go do something. <laughs> I was just kind of encouraging people to stand up, move around, or even teach them how to breathe. Or I would administer mindfulness sessions sort of before or in the middle or after these sessions because people are just, it's so easy for us to get going, right? One meeting after another. And it really worsened during COVID, as you know, because we're all just in one place, stuck in this one space, and it somehow became so hard to unplug ourselves and 
just get away from work because everything is just in front of us and we are sort of forced and coerced to be there. So that's my journey being an IT employee. And then two years ago, two summers ago, June of 2021, I actually got diagnosed with a neurological condition. And as you can imagine, that really, really compromised my work. It turned my life upside down because not only did it compromise how I worked in my very demanding IT job, my leadership role, but it affected my movement job as a yoga instructor. I could no longer move the same. Um, it was very hard for me to really sort of make peace with becoming this new person, slower, more conscious of how I move, more conscious about energy expenditure. And it really, Stephanie, it really turned my life upside down. It turned my world upside down. And it was the biggest humble piece of humble pie I've ever had, you know, in my life since it's neurological, right? And not only is it neurological, my issue is my with my autonomic nervous system. And with the autonomic nervous system, these are things that we don't have to think about. Breathing, heart rate, blood pressure, sweating, swallowing, so many other, other processes that, that the nervous system just sort of does for us that we don't have to think about. And that's the part of me that got compromised or that is still compromised. So it was very, very, very hard. for. Me. And even though I fought to stay in my job, it was just so different because by 10, 11 o'clock, fatigue would set in and I'm just like, oh my God, I have six more meetings. I have to interview people. I have to train people. I have to put together deliverables. And by the way, I had to facilitate meetings, which was the hardest part because you have to be on top of your game and have all this energy, right? What I did, I did the hard thing to do. And in January of last year, 2022, I decided to leave my job. And I was kind of quasi leaving the corporate life behind because I thought, if this is the way I cannot work, how am I supposed to land a job that would be comparable to my previous roles? And so Stephanie, what I did was for seven months, I did nothing, which is unlike me. I focused on healing cooking, you know, just kind of taking things slow, but also managing my symptoms. And as I slowly kind of got a groove and a rhythm with my symptoms, one night, not in a dream, but literally I just opened my eyes and it occurred to me, why am I going to keep sort of applying for corporate jobs, sort of not dumbing myself down, but taking these positions that Really intellectually, I was overqualified, you know, with my skills and talents. Why would I do that when I can actually teach yoga, spread the word of wellness to corporate clients, to organizations, to their employees? Because now that's where my empathy is. It's not even about passion. It's not about being passionate about this. Like, this is my purpose to help people as a teacher, as a facilitator. And of course, with your help, I started putting something together and it's been a risk. It has only been a year. Actually, today, Stephanie is my business bursary. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Even though I'd been registered way before, but today, October 3rd of last year was when I declared to the world, this is the new me. I'm 100% dedicated as a wellness provider, doing yoga, mindfulness, and all that. And that declaration was very scary 
I'd never, ever done that in my life to just focus on my yoga career 100%. And I jumped in. And now I'm, like I said, I'm focusing more on teaching to corporate clients, but I'm also doing wellness presentations. I'm guesting in podcasts. I have one-on-one um, -on -one clients, you know, selectively doing those one-on-ones with corporate people who truly need the space and who truly need the education for them to like tackle their everyday demands, you know, of their job. And I also teach in the community here, like in a studio, but I'm doing that in sort of this neighborhood type thing, a more intimate thing. And so I don't lose touch of that teacher-student relationship. That's sort of how I got here. My, my journey's been pretty up and down. I will not lie. You know, as a startup business owner, as, as you would know, you take risks, you throw spaghetti on the wall and you're like, okay, let's, let's see what shape it takes. But um, I'm still here. And I'm even more excited for the next year for me. I have so many ideas to make, to spread the word out there Absolutely. to people. Yeah, you need to take care of your body first. I always say, make it your job to take care of your body first, and then you'll do a good job with your actual job. Like 100%. Yes. 100%. And it's, um, I, it so resonates with me when you said it was scary to kind of say, hey, this is what I'm doing now, because I felt exactly the same way. I was so scared. I was so nervous. I was so worried about saying, I'm going to work for myself now. I'm going to do consulting. Um, you know, I'm going to build my own business. Like, here I go. Because instead of focusing on kind of taking this step and what I'd already accomplished, said thought, oh, people are going to think I can't hack it in the corporate world anymore. Or that, you know, I can't make this work. You know, I could have, but I didn't want to because it wasn't serving me. And it was no longer going to serve the organizations. I would have joined as well, kind of what you described. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you could do those jobs, but you're not necessarily intellectually stimulated. I don't know if you found this. I know that I found, I was so scared to be like, I'm going to work for myself. And I was expecting a lot of like, oh, she can't hack it. Instead, what I found was an amazing community of people that immediately reached out and found ways to support me and cheer me on like never before in my life. So it was like the most lovely surprise. Yes. And you, we never really know how truly supported we are or how truly not supported we are until we like jump in and try something. And a friend of mine and I were just talking about this, but we don't really realize the audience that we have until we do something big, until we do something new. And you can truly weed out the people who believe in you like, oh my God, you've got this. Or the people are like, are you sure that you can hack it? You know, and the pandemic has taught us one thing, life is short. So why not do it now? I mean, right? I mean, that I'm so glad that you also like ventured into your own around the same time that I did. Oh, I'm just realizing our parallels. Yeah. But I was one of those people who, who was not surprised that you went off on your own, started your own company. It was just a matter of time. Like absolutely no surprise. I've always been kind of that person, that catalyst. I want to change things, um, which I mean, has a place in the corporate world, but also a lot of times I, I would really chafe in that environment because mm -hmm. change is hard. 
Correct. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm glad we both braved the storm. I am too. I am too. And I think it's, it's important. I don't know. For me, it was realizing the voices I was letting be amplified in my head were these negative voices. And it was this beautiful realization of there are so many people who really do want to cheer you on, who do want to amplify you and maybe making yourself more open. Mm -hmm. That um, is just a small but meaningful shift. I know, at least for me, it was really powerful as I approached the entrepreneur journey, which by the way, like you said, it is messy and chaotic. and I like a little chaos, but it is, it's filled with ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I are both about being genuine. You know, my first year, amazing. This year has been kind of bananas just because of the, cli- the climate, but I'm committed. I'm passionate. Like you said, this is, this is my purpose. Yeah. I think that, that connection really changes the way the work feels. You know what? I deal with rejection a lot, right? I try to pitch the value of wellness to HR folks, to team leads, to change agents, to people who sort of kind of know the value of wellness, but still are not wanting to spend the money on wellness or spend the money on their employees and any money that goes to wellness practices, a wellness routine, whatever it is, is still considered at expense instead of a long-term investment. So I deal with no's a lot and, you know, I present myself and my successes and all that. But at the end of the day, if the CFO, if the person holding the money bag cannot embrace the value of wellness, you know, I have had to deal with that reality. And that's sort of my everyday. I just have to keep not pushing, but I just have to keep pitching and I just have to keep proving that this shit works. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I remember my doctor telling me, if not for your ability to breathe, if not for your ability to practice yoga, to upregulate your nervous system by exercising, to downregulate with breathing and meditation, you would be in a much worse spot. And that just told me how yoga saved my life again. Because in 2020, uh, sorry, 2002, Stephanie, I don't know, I may have skipped this in my story, but that was the first time that I tried, that I had a taste of like burnout and stress and not just burnout and stress that you go go to Starbucks and then grab a coffee and then you're fine. This is medically compromising again. And that should have been my first warning. I was 25. This is 2002. And my mom, you know, brought me to the doctor. And at the time I had a handful of panic attacks in a year, I would be typing away. And the next thing I would wake up and I'd be at the ER and everybody would tell me like, Maud, your head just literally dropped to your keyboard and your hands froze. And my hands would freeze like in weird shape. One time it shaped, it was shaped like a gun. I was frozen and they took me to the ER. My potassium was low. You know, you're young, you do all the stupid things. Yes. But the doctor, yeah, but the doctor told me, you know what? you need a hiatus from your job. Like he said, I could write this down as a prescription. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop working in the way that you're working and just take a break. And that was March, I believe, 2002. And I kid you not, two weeks later, I went to my first yoga class. 
And that's when my life changed. And I did not have a single episode after that. I worked, I went back to work six months later, you know, until what happened to me two years ago. And so that would have been a warning sign. But even at the time, at 25 years old, you would think I was invincible, right? I'm 25. Of course, I can work 12-hour days. I was going home at 11, working at 7 o'clock, and I hardly had breakfast. And all of these wrong things that we do that we consider small, like, oh, I'll just have peanuts for breakfast, or I'll just drink this water, or whatever it is, stupid shit that we do. Or like, oh, lunch, yeah, I'll just eat in front of the computer, and I'll just eat this little teeny tiny PB&J. You know, that just don't nourish us and don't right. nurture us. That's sort of what I tell people is you don't have to have a diagnosis like me. You don't have to, quote, unquote, get sick. But if you don't stop and you allow this level of burnout and stress in your life chronically, which means long term, your body is in a state of an adrenal high every time. So, you know, you think about it. Our, our ancestors, many, many years ago, they were they're hunting and gathering you know, phase, sort of their survival mode. That was where all their energy went to there. And once they were, you know, getting ready to hunt and chase the lion or whatever food it was, then the stress hormones get elevated, you know, adrenals mm -hmm. and your cortisol. But after all that's done, all they really did was go back home to their caves, to their wives, to their children and slept. So now in modern day, with this stressful eight to five that we have, we don't realize, but the levels of our adrenals and our cortisol are like that of our past ancestors, as if we're being chased down by something or we're the ones chasing something. And that's supposed to be a very expensive expenditure of energy and stress hormones. But now we're doing that every time. We open our laptops, 200 emails, stress. Oh my God, how am I going to respond to this? There's an email in 30 minutes. Oh my God, I'm not prepared for that, stress. Oh my God, I haven't had breakfast or lunch. Stress. Oh my the God. Team <laughs> exactly. We're always like in this mode of chasing something down or feeling like we failed because we could not catch up on that 12 things that we wanted to do that we couldn't do. And people don't realize this level of stress really is killing us literally, scientifically, statistically, killing us slowly. We may not realize it. And at some point in our lives, our body is going to say, stop it, Stephanie. You can no longer do this. Time out. Time for you to take a break. Time for you to prioritize yourselves. And kudos to those people who feel like they're invincible and healthy. They may be right. But I have a family history. Eventually, now I have this condition. I have to tell people, this is not to scare you. In fact, this is to empower you. Yes. To turn something around, change a little bit of habit. Maybe you move before you work. Maybe you practice mindfulness before you work. Maybe you take a break every 12, 10 and just make it 10 minutes and then eat by yourself. Eat without the computer so you can go back to work refreshed. You know, there are these little things and tweaks that we can do as opposed to just being a slave to our desk. So that's kind of part of what I think about the just dumb, stubborn shit I was doing when I was 25 <laughs> as it related to work. And for me, like there's this really specific kind of behavior that just was like really physically 
and emotionally damaging that I was engaged in. Right at 25, maybe 25 is this magic number, at least for us. I, I suffer from migraines and I have suffered from migraines my entire adult life. Mm. And I kind of white knuckled my migraine experiences for a long time. But when I first moved to Arizona, I was getting them a lot. And I was working in an organization that was not the most warm and fuzzy wellness forward. Mm-hmm. And I would get a migraine probably, now there's some people who get them much more frequently, um, but I got it probably like two to three times a month mm. and I would be at work. And with my migraines, I would get sick to my stomach. So there would be these days where instead of taking time off, I would stop eating or drinking anything because otherwise I would get sick to my stomach. Oh. And I would just like suffer through these migraines all day. And there was one time just been promoted through this amazing opportunity for me. And I was at this meeting. It was like a, you know, a big strategy session, all day meeting. And I had a migraine and I needed to present and I could not stop getting sick. So I stopped drinking anything for like this 10 hour day. So I wouldn't get sick. So I could give a presentation like If someone like, and I thought that was totally normal. I thought that's just what I needed to do. And if someone told me that, I would be like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Please don't do that. Right. And I I want people to know, like, it is normal to be a human being and to have normal human being needs. And so many environments overlook that you know, right. try and sweep those to the side. But I, I just don't think we can do that anymore. Um, no. It's just, I, I, I just hope we don't do that anymore. Because I mean, if there's anything, I hope if someone has a migraine, they, you know, get receive treatment, receive support, but they also feel like they don't have to make things even worse by trying to hide symptoms. So right. they can keep working. We're trying how to- bananas is that? Right. To try to sweep it under the rug. And this is such a good time for me to bring up something that I present. I I also present to um, companies. Like, for example, I just came back from the Kraft Heinz Annual Summit. And one of the biggest tenets of my presentation really is individual empowerment, but team empowerment. So what I talk about is, and I've been, I've been in this place before where I kind of felt I was the only change agent. And let's pretend I had a migraine, right? Even though what I had was a little bit different. And I worked for a team that I knew would just not be receptive to an expression of weakness like that. Or they would consider it a weakness if I even said, oh my God, I just have the biggest headache. Because they could say, she's being a woman. It's the time of the month, whatever other assumptions that they have. But since I've been in that place, and I've also been in that place in a great team where I felt like I had the voice of wellness and people actually listened. So I've had, I've had both kinds of teams and teams in between in my 24 years in IT. And using like one of the latest teams that I worked with, they were pretty open about vulnerability. And you really could have, you could show up as yourself, you know, with migraines and whatnot. And what I do in these presentations is I always tell them and remind them it takes one person. It took me so many times to say, 
timeout, like we're in this big conference call and my boss's boss's boss is there. And it was just presentation after presentation after presentation. And by the fifth hour, which was my turn, and it was like 12 o'clock, I was like, this is stupid. I don't think we should do this. And I literally said, time out. And the person who was supposed to be the time police was like, like her mouth was open because she's like, what are you doing? We're about to run out of time. And I'm like, we can't do this. I, I need everybody to just take a breather. May I facilitate a little bit of breathing exercise? Guess how many hands raised? Like, oh my God, let's do it. Like everybody. And that experience to me, you know, with 32 people on the call, reminded me of my power. Like it takes one person to say something. It takes one person to make a change. And in my presentations, I always tell them, revisit your team charter. And if you don't have one, make one. I have facilitated team charter creation in my life as a BA that was kind of part of something that I would be an advocate of. And I also kind of coach some people on how to put together a team charter. That's where you self-identify as a team. What do you deliver, who you are, what your values are, what your non-negotiables are. And if even one person put wellness as their value, well-being, mental health, um, whatever other, you know, beliefs or whatever values that they have, and they put it in the forefront, it's up for discussion and it's it's become a visible topic. And so I told them, told them don't hide in your misery. T say it. I am someone who feels X because of Y, so let's do Z, right? Write that, make that sort of your template so that you can express what it is you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, and what steps forward there could be. And I talk about that. Like, I even have this little prism that I show, like, what do you normalize? Normalize taking a break. Normalize blocking off your calendar. Normalize being accountable for each other. Normalize having an accountability partner. Um, gosh, there's so many things that I talked about there. And every time I mention this, people are like nodding. But I also, I also know they're secretly on their sort of periphery in their third eye thinking, holy shit, is this going to happen for my team? Am I going to be that person for my team? Um, I just interviewed a lady and she said the only way they work is 10 calls a day and they work for a, a cross-functional team. And I asked her, like, is that truly the only way you can work? And she said, no one's ever questioned it. And so I asked her back. So if one applies for a job in this team and does not have the stamina, right, or the physical ability to be in 10 calls a day, he would be unhirable for this team. And that seems to be the response. Like, yeah, because that's what we do. And so when I presented, I told them, check your team charter. Where can you do three things? I always say automate, optimize, delegate. Revisit how you work. Because if it's 10 calls a day, there is no way that that is sustainable. All of you are going to drop like flies later on. And if you truly decide that's the only way to work, where else can you change? Maybe this meeting can be a bi-monthly meeting instead of a weekly meeting. Shorten, abbreviate things that can be shortened and revisit the things that you do and ask, why are we doing this? Is there a better way to do things? 
And that may have nothing to do with my yoga and my breathing and all that, but it empowers you to really put wellness first and to put yourself first so that by God, you actually have time to take a five minute break. You don't have to keep eating in front of your computer and you can actually look forward to the next day instead of going to bed, feeling defeated, like which we've all experienced dreading going to work. That has been such a familiar feeling to me. I don't like it. I know you don't like it, Stephanie. I know you've had your experience with that too, but you want to end the day sort of on a good note, refreshed for the next day, you know, without that vicious cycle of that migraine, like you said, you know? Yeah. I love what you said about what behavior are you normalizing? Because I think it is so important. And I think, you know, managers, leaders have a tough job. And I think sometimes they get an unfair rap um, or we pick on them unfairly sometimes because they don't get the tools and resources that they need to be the best version of a manager or leader that they can be. But managers and leaders, might say something like take PTO or you don't need to check your email after hours. That's great. But if you as a leader or manager never take your PTO and you're always available via email, you may have said something, but your behavior is normalizing the exact opposite. Love how you say that because it's so important to be thoughtful. Like what behavior am I normalizing? If I'm normalizing scheduling 10 meetings a day and well, I'm just going to do that because I have to have get have to get this grind going. Even if you would never expect that of anyone else, you expecting it of yourself normalizes behavior. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of managers and how much power they hold in messaging, um, it just brings me back to my gosh, a, we're going to have to talk, talk about this trauma. Just have to, um, because this is also one of the things that really taught me how to become a good teammate mm-hmm. and how to be conscious of, like you said, what is your messaging? What, what are you normalizing and allowing your employees and your teammates to do? I used to report to this scrum master and I had just joined the company and the team was pretty tight. They really were a truly agile team, not just capital A agile, but like small letter agile. They really were kind of a well-oiled machine. And I joined in and long story short, I could just feel the scrum master sabotage everything I do, um, ignore things that I said. And he just kind of put me in a bad light and that kept going every day. And when I was telling you about dreading coming to work, I was crying almost every day because I just felt nauseous in my gut. I just did not want to see this person, talk to this person, or even hear the sound of his voice. But it eventually got so bad that he sent out an email with the whole team CC'd and addressed it to a few higher-ups. And he basically said, modest incompetent. She's not fit for this job. None of her teammates trust her, like none. And so just imagine being on the other side of that email and thinking, and this was a great team too. There were like seven different nationalities in this team. And so we were very diverse. But despite that, right, you think to yourself, like none of the teammates trust me? Like that is a big statement. And he's a very respected 
leader, basically. So who would take my word for it? Most likely people are going to believe him than me because I'm the new employee, right? And again, these experiences teach us how much power we have because I really insisted there is proof now (laughs) by him writing this email. He's basically incriminating himself to human resources because I never treated this guy like shit, not even once. In fact, I've been tiptoeing around him, walking on eggshells, and he turned out to be wrong. Turned out there were people in my team who approached me and assured me, we do not feel that way. But like you said, Stephanie, they have so much power that they were afraid to say something to him. They were afraid that by going against him, he was going to do the same thing to them. So a lot of this is forget the manager role, forget the leadership role, but it's really that sense of entitlement. Once a person feels that they are invincible, people are going to listen to them because they are in this authoritative figure and role their messaging becomes pretty much gospel. And that's what a lot of people thought. Even those who knew he was wrong, they did not want to go against his gospel because they were afraid. Long story short, they got rid of him. It was very traumatic to me. Yeah. I mean, and uh, and that, that experience made me a stronger person. And even to this day, it I bring with me this sense of, confidence. If I got through that, I can accept every rejection I get from every CFO, from an HR person that I talk to who doesn't want to embrace wellness because you you grow your thick skin and you just kind of deal with, you test your own humanity and patience by dealing with other people's, you know, humanities as well, or in this case, inhumanity. (laughs) So that's kind of how I developed my, really my inner gumption that because that did not kill me, this, this makes me stronger. And this makes me really 100% even more confident that, that I can change people's lives because I am steadfast. I know this works, you know? Yeah. You yeah. built that resilience from yeah. that experience. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. I love what you hit on. I mean, I don't love hearing that that was your experience at work, obviously, but that experience is, is something I think it's, Maybe not exactly the same, but I think it's a common experience. And and I think one thing people don't realize is positional power. I, I, I'm constantly on one about positional power. So here I'm going to get on my positional power soapbox. But positional power, people have a really hard time recognizing their own positional power, one. And positional power is kind of inherent to corporate environments. It, you know, there are different organizational structures and cultures that maybe shift how that positional power is expressed, earned, leveraged, but positional power is always there. You have power. And at the core of almost every experience of trauma is a power imbalance, a loss Mm -hmm. of power, a loss of control. And so when you think about that, when you think about inherently our workplace structures, have power imbalances, ignoring all of the other power imbalances that come into play in our lives and in this world. Inherently, corporate structures shape power imbalances. It is the perfect storm for creating new traumatic experiences or triggering someone who has a previous 
traumatic experience. You said it so well. Here's this person in a position of power. For some reason, you have really no idea why. They are completely against you and are threatening your livelihood. And on the flip side, people who want to defend you and support you feel as though they cannot because their livelihood is at stake. And I think, I think we don't give enough weight to how difficult that experience can be and the long lasting impacts it can have on how people experience workplaces, even if they've moved on from that situation. While I hate hearing that that happened to you, I love your spirit of resilience. And I mean, I love that it really unlocks a conversation piece that I think is unfortunately pretty universal to our work experiences and how we're experiencing work today, which I know you and I would both very much like to change. Yeah. I mean, we are the change agents sort of, yes. right? Yes. And, and even though, you know, I teach yoga and I, I facilitate mindfulness in meetings and all of these wellness offerings, what's really equipped me to this day to, to teach these in confidence is all the bad experiences that I've had. Because I've, I've, I've told you this, I will talk to an HR person and they believe in what I do. Oh my God, Maude, it's so great. But they're scared of the CEO. They're scared of the CFO. They somehow have chosen to not feel empowered to make a difference in their humans that are their resources. Because there's somehow this fear of being laughed at, of what are they going to say if I put wellness as one of our priorities next year? Oh my gosh, we just laid off people. Is this? And so it can be very frustrating, but I also understand why a lot of people choose to be defeated, almost. Choose to not put themselves in a place where they could truly make a difference. While others are like, oh my gosh, I have this money now, let's do it. Let's spend it on a wellness presentation. We're going to have this little event and whatnot. And it's admirable. But a lot of the times when I talk to people who should be in positions of power, like you said, really aren't because it's kind of in the guise of their title, but really they're scared of someone else's opinion. They they have normalized being subdued, being quieted, and almost like you just have that role. You, it looks and sounds like you can make a decision, but really you can't because there's, you know, there's a bigger level or a higher level up there. So even though I said I stepped away from corporate, I still am very much experiencing <laughs> this complexity within the corporate world. And I can see myself in it, like my former self wow, I've had to deal with this so many times in so many different ways, shapes, and forms in my past life. Like, I don't know, Stephanie, if I told you, but one of the companies that I worked for, a programmer that I worked with actually said these words, I have a hard time taking orders from a short Asian woman. Let me repeat. I have a hard time taking orders from a short Asian woman. Yeah. It was deflating. At the same time, knowing full well that he was wrong, Mm -hmm. as fast as I deflated, I also asked myself, are you going to be defeated by this untruth, by this rudeness, right? It is, it was ridiculous that it happened to me, but also reminded me, okay, if he said those words to me, what can 
I do to change the situation instead of relying on him to make a change? Because we've already set that. Like we've already set our minds about this person, right? Like you person listening to this podcast, you wouldn't want to be in that position, short or tall woman or man. You don't want people degrading you like that. Right. But at the same time, you, it makes you realize, okay, Satan is saying this thing. Mm, What can I do so that I can change my situation? And so I, same thing, empowered myself to have, the both of us mediated. And at the end of the day, it was really proven that all the things he said I did and said really did not take place. Um, so my gosh, this this podcast has made me sort of go back <laughs> to a flashback of miserable experiences I have. And I don't want people to think that it has been all bad, but I'm just saying those bad things that are happening to you right now will shape you to the person that you will become, whether or not you end up owning your own business like Stephanie and myself, whether or not you embrace your true talents and are ready to take the next step, what a promotion, whatever that is. But these negative experiences have a way of really thickening our skin and empowering us to be the best version of ourselves. Like I, I truly, truly believe that. Absolutely. I, I agree. I agree. And it, but it's hard in the moment. It's really hard in the moment. And, you know, having that support and guidance to kind of see that, see the light at the end of the tunnel is so important. I love what you said about, you know, HR. I mean, I spent 16 years in corporate HR and HR is interesting. And I'm sure there's lots of, there are lots of things that kind of play into, yes, you have this power and you reach a certain level, but also what else is going on. And I think HR is one of those functions where you're always kind of working towards making sure people see you as a credible business partner, not like a cupcake maker. Someone always used to say, I don't know that I love that term, but a cupcake maker. And so sometimes, you know, people in those positions, if they're really passionate about wellness or well-being, they have to take a step back and be like, oh, how is this going to be received by the team? Or if you're a woman, or a minority or something else going on, you have to think about how that layer, that lens is going to be received by the team, even if you do have positional power. And this is my, this is my favorite example. I think, you know, you and I share mod that we are naturally very outspoken, sometimes mm-hmm. to our own detriment, but we're naturally very outspoken. Mm-hmm. And so I'll ask the hard, I would always be the person who would ask the hard questions or do the hard things um, when I was on a team. And I remember this when COVID first started. I, I've referenced this in an earlier podcast. When COVID started to, you know, Hit cold, people were talking about it, you know, late February kind of time frame. We were in an executive team meeting and I'm like, I was like, hey, is there anything else we should talk about? I'm like, yeah, you guys, I think we should talk about COVID. Like we should probably, you know, start to think about what's going on and like what we may want to do. And I got basically laughed out of the room and I got a pretty thick skin from years of being very outspoken and people being annoyed by it, just to be frank. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of got left out of the room. And this was, you know, the CEO and other kind of executive level peers that were like, whatever, Stephanie, a weirdo, basically. 
And that's not been really devastating experience in a different scenario. I felt wild, like one of the times I didn't want to be vindicated, but I was really wildly vindicated Mm -hmm. was like a week and a half later, the CEO is in my office, like, we should probably talk about COVID. And then like months and months later, the CFO is like, you really called it on that COVID. It's one of those things where it can be so hard to Mm -hmm. speak out. But I love kind of going back to what you said earlier in the podcast, it only takes one person. It only takes one person to raise the point, to say the hard thing, to kind of change the energy. And a lot of times, especially when it's something like meetings that never stop or needing to be able to take a break or prioritizing our health and wellness, once you say something and raise your hand, everyone else is like, yeah, can we do that now too? It's so, so important to empower folks to raise their hand, to make those changes, to do those things and leveraging your work to pull that through a culture, trauma-informed principles to pull that through a culture can be really powerful and impactful when it comes to changing our experiences of the workplace. Exactly. And it works even well, even better and faster if you are in a homogenous team where you're all doing the same thing in the same way. And it takes one person to kind of break away from that mold and be like, what if we just ended our meetings? What if we set up our Outlook calendars to end five minutes earlier than 30 minutes, 10 minutes earlier than an hour? You know, in one of my conversations with, it was actually another podcast at Farm Credit Services of America in Omaha, which I used to work. They have this thing called BAM. And it's better adjourned meetings. And they basically set up their calendars. So 25 minutes is the default and 15 minutes is the default. It took one person probably to think about that. Like, what if dot, dot, dot. No, what if we started dot, dot, dot. Just ask the question, be brave. And that's what I tell them. Ask them, would it be a good idea to take a break so that we can just have a breather or maybe just practice three minutes of mindfulness, I tell you, the people who will resist you the first, second, or third time are going to be the biggest embracers after that. Because why wouldn't you want a space and a break in your day that will only help you work better, right? It's almost like flip the script. Why don't we run ourselves to the ground? Why don't we just skip lunch? Why don't we just have meetings back to back? Why don't we just end the workday at seven o'clock at night? Like imagine flipping the script and somebody just sort of taking the reins and asking the difficult question. And you know you're doing the right thing because you're doing the hard thing. So just ask, it, just plant that seed, make people react, keep doing it, whether it's wellness, whether it's change of meeting lengths or whatever uniform in the office, whatever aspect of your workday that is really kind of burdening you and you just know a little bit of change can make people's lives better, ask it and just say it. And to your point, Stephanie, of trauma-informed, this also trains us to know none of us had the same background. None of us came from the same 
How do we set a message across when we know people have gone through different backgrounds, different kinds of traumas, different kinds of stories? How do you make your messaging successful? And it's really to just try something once and see how people respond. And you will know pretty quick how people have been brought up by their parents, how people have been brought up by their cultures in terms of work ethic, by how they respond. I mean, I can't specify right now exactly, but in my past lives, people who tend to say no right away, nope, 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 no change. Then you think, why are they like that? And so maybe Uh something happened in their lives and it just made them averse to change or they just went through something traumatic and they don't want to change their routine. They want to keep going. But it also, like I said, tests our humanity. It almost like stretches our patience because if this thing was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? If this was an easy thing to do, like I say, if every if yoga was just easy peasy, every single person would be doing yoga. But no, yoga taps into your truth, the hard truth, right? Things that you hide, things that don't come out there in the world comes out in your mat and how you move and how you breathe. So it's sort of that same test of humanity that shows up in a yoga mat or a chair yoga at work, it really is all kind of a test and you just have to believe in your own power to make a change one person at a time. Yeah. I love that. That's so perfect. Yeah. We could probably talk for like four more hours. Uh, Maybe we will in the future, (laughs) but I want to make sure for our listeners who are interested in your work, learning more, maybe partnering with you either for their corporate wellness programs, individual work, or maybe, you know, your speaking work you do. Maude is a phenomenal speaker, if you can't tell just from this last hour um, and really a good time. Where can people find out more about you, what you do, and your services? Thanks for asking that. Um, you can always reach out to me through my website. My website is www.mod.yoga. And I'm sure Stephanie's going to have that in the show notes. M-A-U-D-E dot yoga. You can also email me directly at mod at mod.yoga. It's pretty easy to remember. But just so kind of people understand why I do what I do. I just want to repeat. It's because I know what it feels like to be a compromised employee, having to to show up in your eight to five, in your nine to five, having personal struggles, right? Or having things going on in your life, but you still have to show up and deliver. And this is why I feel like it's my purpose really to help people. So in my website, you can find classes there. You can also find information on how you can become a corporate wellness partner. I have certain offerings that are yoga focused, that are movement focused. They're also meditation and mindfulness focused, but there's also one offering that I do, which is mindfulness in meetings. And this is something that people have really started to embrace, which is starting a meeting by a 10-minute mindfulness session. Let's not call it meditation because that might just think people think meditation is still woo-woo. But Stephanie, you've been here before. You get into a meeting. People are late. People just drop off their kids. People haven't had breakfast. People have a migraine. And then you sit down and then the meeting starts. And then somebody says, let's make big financial decisions. Let's make HR decisions. But you've all just had your own personal baggages. And so this mindfulness session unloads all of that. And it puts everybody in the same 
place in the starting line. So you all breathe the same time. You all have the same focal points as being guided by someone like me. And then you start the meeting. So you're all in that same sphere as you start with like, okay, I've unloaded my own personal stuff. And now as a team, as a group, we can now be on the same page, which is beautiful. I've, I've just heard the best things about it. someone listening to right now, and you're not quite sure about the yoga or the movement, try out the mindfulness in meetings. That might yes. be a good place for you to start so that people can then embrace what does it feel like to prioritize our well-being before we embark on a collective activity, before I embark, I embark on the demands of the day? What does it truly feel like to take a step back? And even in my Thursday free classes, I have my free behind the desk classes at 4.05 p.m. Eastern. People who go there, a lot of them were skeptics at first, like 15 minutes of breathing and movement. Okay, fine, Maud, you know, let's shut you up and they'll attend. And then they do it. And every Thursday they've signed up because they just, they can't believe how rejuvenated they feel. They can't believe like 15 minutes of that and they they yearn for more, but they want to be guided. They have a hard time initiating this. And so aside from like the offerings that I mentioned, especially the mindfulness in meetings, I do have a free open class every Thursday and anyone can show up. Just um, go to www.ma.yoga slash corporate and then you just select the free class put in your email address and you're there. And I don't care how you look. I don't care the color of your skin, your yoga experience. It is an open class for everyone. And all you need is a device to view and a chair to sit on. Like I'm making it as simple for people as possible. And then the third thing I was going to mention, which you kind of already did, was if you have any events, um, I just did a wellness presentation to Boys Town who came up with a virtual wellness event they spoke about wellness and how important it is for their caregivers to think about themselves, right? Because they're so used to helping their kids, their patients, but turn the knob onto yourself first, take care of yourself. And here's Maud who's going to teach us how to meditate for 60 seconds. And that's what I did. And the response was phenomenal. A lot of people really reached out to me how life-changing it was to be told prioritize you, even your job, even though your job is the most selfless job in the world, you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you have any events like that, invite someone like me who can sort of plant that seed and show you the actual ropes of how you can make these little atomic changes that are, gosh, they are life-changing. They really are. I would, I mean, anyone who's skeptical, I love that you say, you know, check out mindfulness for meetings. Start your meeting with a little mindfulness. And I'll even double down on that. Imagine you are pulling together your executive team, a leadership team for a full day and think about how much money you're spending having all of those people come together and spend eight hours in a meeting. Right. Now take the time and then the energy and effort to have an expert like Maud facilitate a mindfulness exercise that puts everyone in the same space to focus. I cannot think of a better way to kick off a meeting like that and ensure great results. Absolutely. And 
talking about results real quick, I'm going to be really technical and mathematical. The equation for ROI on wellness programs is actually pretty straightforward. Okay. There's a few variables in this equation. It starts with productivity increases plus talent management savings plus healthcare savings minus the wellness program cost. That is the ROI for wellness programs in your organization. So like you said, if there are any skeptics out there and you're the person looking at the bottom line, looking at the numbers and what's the return for this, there's now an actual equation. And you can add more variables in there that you can quantify, right? Like what's productivity look like? Is it absenteeism? Is it presenteeism? As an HR person, you can probably put more variables there. You probably have more variables in your head right now than me. I do. Yeah. <laughs> But talent management savings, I can't speak for that, but what does that look like in your little black accounting book? But there is a, a, an equation for ROI right now. So even more and more research is being done, especially with the pandemic, proving to us that the person who does laundry and the person who does the work is the same person. There is no separation. I yeah. love that so much, Maud. Thank you so, so much. This has been a fabulous conversation. Of course it has. So excited um, to have you here sharing your story. I'm sure we'll chat again. There's so much for us to discuss as it relates to well-being, mm-hmm. health, trauma-informed workplaces. Yeah. But thank you so much. And for everyone who joined us to listen in, thank you for listening. I will share Maud's information in the show notes so you can make sure and check out one of her free classes. And until the next episode, be well.